Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. For me, one of the greatest feelings in the world is when someone remembers my name, right? You know that feeling when you go somewhere and someone of, that you think is important or worthwhile says, hey, Will, wow, you remembered my name. Uh, as I was thinking about this, this may be dating myself a little bit. Some of you remember the old sitcom Cheers, uh, you know, and uh, the theme song there, you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? You got it. And the, the first scene of every episode was Norm walking into the bar and everybody yelling out, oh, come on, it was much better, Norm, right? And then he gave some pithy statement about his life or baseball or something like that. As you can see from our order of worship, I chose, we structured it so that you could understand the emphasis here. From the, from the, call, of worship, from the call to worship, uh, God gave Moses his personal name. This is who you should tell them has sent you. And then God named every one of the starry hosts, host, trillions of stars. Each of them have a name. Down to Jesus saying, my sheep uh, hear my voice. I know their name. I call them by name. People matter to God. And this list of names in Acts 13 is going to show us that today. It matters. But why it matters, particularly when it comes to a book like Galatians. Galatians historically has been one of the treasures of the church and its exposition of salvation by grace alone and faithful, by faith alone in Christ alone. It is, it is one of the best books about that. But what I want us to see is that the, the book of Galatians was not written as a theological dissertation or as a, an apologetic to the church and to the world. It was written because people are saved by grace. And as I was preparing for this and, and, and seeing where Robert left off in Acts, it just jumped out to me. We should, we should pay attention to what Luke says at the start of this Galatian journey about the people that were involved. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, uh, and, and I invite you to keep your order of worship. Uh, go ahead and turn, if you look at the uh, assurance of pardon on page 5. This is, to many commentators, this is the theme verse of Galatians. Mark and I will probably refer to this a lot over the next several weeks. Listen to what it says. For we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith, not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one 
literally in the Greek, no individual body, (laughs) flesh and blood, will be justified. So the theme verse itself lends itself to saying this salvation, this grand grace of God is applied to people. So let's dive directly into this. We'll dive into the contents of Galatians next week. But let's look here at Acts, end of Acts 12 and the beginning of Acts 13. Robert left off with verse 23, which had just been the horrific story of Herod being eaten by worms because he had been judged by God for his arrogant hypocrisy. And so we stopped. And so we pick it up with verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. First, notice that the word of God increased and multiplied. Why two words to say the same concept? This, this has echoes of Genesis 1:27. For God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The, the, the insinuating concept here is healthy things reproduce healthy things multiply and what Luke is telling us is that the church was growing both in depth and in impact but also in breadth quality and quantity were happening friends this is exactly what we pray here at TCPC that we would be a people deep in the word of God that it is forming us and shaping us to be healthy people in our souls and as that health is there we would then multiply into the lives of others and into the cities around Lexington but second notice that Barnabas and Saul are returning to Antioch just just north of Jerusalem of Palestine area from Jerusalem where they had dropped off a financial offering they had collected for the suffering people of Jerusalem this is significant that we should pay attention here There's a lot of talk today about the the role of social justice and social issues and the gospel. There was a missionary named Amy Carmichael back in the 19th, 20th century. Many of you may know her. I I read her biography, A Chance to Die. It's tremendous. She gave 55 years to serving uh, the underprivileged in India. And she saw churches planted and thousands converted and untold millions uh, cared for. One day she was back in London uh, giving an update to her missionary board. And one of the the leaders on the missionary board, sort of in a pretentious comment, said, Amy, why are you spending so much money and time feeding these people when their souls are in jeopardy? And Amy very humbly, patiently said, sir, the last time I checked, souls were connected to mouths in stomachs. What she was saying was, these aren't at odds. The gospel and social issues are not at odds. And here we see before Paul and Barnabas were sent on a missionary journey, they were sent on a mercy journey. But make no mistake about it, what we see going forward in Acts and as it plays out in Galatia, catastrophic errors in understanding were happening about grace, about what the gospel meant to people and just to speak frankly Paul Barnabas the council in Acts 15 all were saying this it is Christ 
alone with nothing added. That's the message of Galatians. That's where we start here in Acts. Now, let's look at these names. Acts 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Read Antioch church staff, okay? The prophets and teachers of Antioch. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The laying on of hands and sending them off started Paul's first missionary journey. It would cover 53 days and 1,581 miles on foot. As Acts 14 tells us, he went to all the major cities in the region of Galatia. But you may be looking at this passage and saying, all I see is a list of names. How does this help? As we already stated, names matter. God gives us lists of names throughout the scripture so that we will connect the teaching of scripture to people. So when we read Galatians over the next several weeks, I want us to have the lens that there are people in Paul's mind. Not just the defense of doctrine, not just the defense of teachings, but the defense of people. People are going to be saved by grace. As I mentioned at the beginning, the theme verse, Acts, uh, Galatians 2.16, lends itself. The words person and no one there tell us the gospel is about saving people. Okay, so let's look at the names. First, Barnabas. Uh, he's often called, oftentimes called the encourager. He's actually one of the first leaders in the early church. And much like Peter, you know, Peter and Paul get a lot of the profile. But behind the scenes, there were two guys that were impacting Peter and Paul. Andrew, Peter's brother, was the one who had brought Peter to Jesus. And Barnabas was the one who had gone and found Paul and brought him to the apostles. And it says there that Barnabas is John Mark's cousin. This is John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, one of Peter's confidants, who later in Acts, which we'll see at some point, had a major confrontation with Paul. But in Galatians 2.13, we'll see this when we teach the book. Listen to what it says. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What I want us to see here is even nice people need the gospel. And sometimes their niceness keeps them from embracing grace fully. Barnabas got swept up in this. Barnabas, perhaps his genuineness and his encouragement and his niceness led him to be a people pleaser so that when he was in a conflict with other people, he didn't know where to stand in the gospel and he gave way to a hypocritical view that maybe instead of Jesus alone, I should also be encouraging people to do acts of the law. So first we see Barnabas. We'll come back to that in a second. The second name we see is Simeon who is called Niger. 
Again, if we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, then there's a reason in God, in His eternal wisdom, He decided to tell us that this man's name meant black. That's what He says. His surname was Niger, which in Latin means black. Most assuredly, He was from Africa, perhaps from that central country in Africa called Niger. So let's connect him with the third name, Lucius from Cyrene. Again, every word matters. Cyrene is modern-day Libya. Again, Africa. Luke tells us that the man who carried Jesus' cross in his gospel was also from Cyrene. Paul, Luke is making a decided effort that you and I understand. The early church was rich in diversity. The mention of these black men and the fact that Luke describes them this way tells us how incredibly diverse the church was. One commentator said it this way, this was the church staff in Antioch, a racially integrated group of go-getters. But in Galatians 3, listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What was the promise? All nations, all peoples, all tribes, all cultures. There is no racial, cultural, economic, political superiority or inferiority in the scope of the gospel. All are in need of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let me take a parenthetical moment here because I think this is significant. Over the last year, we've encouraged each of you to participate in what we've called our one-step initiatives of understanding racial and ethnic issues in the church today. If you haven't checked out that website, go there today. It's called One Step. But one of the things we talked about in these regards is that education leads to empathy. Over the last several years, I've tried to educate myself more in the racial dynamics, historically, particularly in the church. One book I've read is this one, and I highly recommend the white evangelical church read it. It's it's called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Did you know that most of the early church fathers, from Tertullian to Scipion to St. Augustine himself, were from Africa. We have this notion in our world that the church originated in enlightened Western Europe. We have here scripturally is that it actually started with the African leadership. 40% of the leadership in the early church, the church where they were first called Christians, were from the continent of Africa. Why is this significant? For decades in the West, Jesus, his apostles, the church in general have been portrayed as a white man's religion. Just look at the many children's books that portray Jesus as white, blonde, blue-eyed. What this does, either intentionally or unintentionally, is cause people of color to disassociate from Christianity as a white man's religion. This is a tragedy. This could not be further from the grassroots truth here in Acts 13. Luke goes out of his way to tell us the church was led by men and women from Africa, faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that it was increasing and multiplying. Praise God 
that our historic faith is rooted in ethnic diversity. And praise God that when Jesus comes back, the new heavens and the new earth will be full of nations, people, and tribe. So may we, as we study Galatians, hear him say, you are all one in Christ Jesus. The fourth name we see in this, you can see there is Manan, who is a lifelong friend of Herod. Again, the words matter, right? He goes out of his way to say that this man was a lifelong friend of Herod. Whoa, we just saw Herod with his body being eaten by worms. But he says that this man, Manan, was friends of Herod the Tetrarch, who was the Herod before that one of Acts 12. This Herod was even worse. He's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. And the Herod before him was the one who had all the two-year-olds in Egypt, uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem killed because he was trying to kill Jesus. These Herods were bad dudes. They were powerfully bad dudes. And here it says Manan was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Something happened to Manan. In fact, Luke said in Acts 12 that the people said about Herod, the voice of a God. And that's when he died because he took that to mean, I must be a God. No doubt, Manan would have either seen this striking down of Herod first, firsthand or he would have heard about it directly from the household of Herod. But here in Acts 13, something has changed. Now, Manan is a prophet and teacher of this way. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4. Again, we're going to study this, but listen. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not God's little G's. I think he had Manan in mind. He was a guy who had associated with himself with a, a small demigod who had the power to destroy hundreds, thousands of people. You see, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. No association with powerful people has anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the last name in this list is Paul. We know Paul's story. He was at first the most vile persecutor of the gospel, and now he's its greatest ambassador. Paul is the one who writes the letter to the Galatians. And at the very end of Galatians, this is how Paul closes the letter. Paul's MO, mode of operating, was he would be dictating the letter to a scribe, someone who would write it. But in multiple places in his letters, he often says this, and this is what he says this, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Meaning, he took the pen from the scribe and said, I want to write this part. That's significant because he's saying, I've been dictating up to this point, now I want them to know this is coming directly from my mouth, my head, and my hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ 
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, each of these names, I think, has something significant for us. The church in Lexington in 2021 in light of that, I, I want you to turn in your confe- in, in page to page five in your order of worship. I wrote, I wrote these confessions to be in line with what I see in these individual men and in the contents of Galatians. And to be honest, I wrote these for myself. I have spent the last week praying these confessions for myself, but let me explain them to you. Because I think when we, what we see in Barnabas and Paul, what we see in Simeon and Lucius, what we see in Manan, I think we can see ourselves. Here's what I mean. Number one, the gospel is for nice and religious people. Barnabas and Paul, let's take those things. I had a friend 20 years ago who said she repeatedly had to repent of being a goody two-shoes. She would hear all these testimonies of people coming off drugs and coming out of this addiction and coming out of this woeful life of wandering. And her whole life, she was just a goody two-shoes. She did nothing wrong. She obeyed her parents, obeyed her teachers, made straight A's. What she found as she dove into the gospel of Jesus Christ was this fleshly boast. I'm a pretty good person. My goodness is impressive to people and earns me things in their eyes. But what about the fleshly boast? My religious fervor and faithfulness and dedication are better than others and earn me favor and blessing with God. The gospel actually says this, though. There's no one righteous, no one who does good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why I wrote the first confession there. Father, I confess that I believe my own goodness and efforts toward morality are enough to save me. And Paul wrote a whole letter to you nice people to say, no, don't add anything to Jesus. Not even your morality, not even your goodness, not your devotional life, not your Lecrae albums, not your Christian t-shirts, not your K-Love radio station. None of that earns or warrants the salvation of Christ. It is Christ alone. Take a second issue. Take Simeon and Lucius the two that Luke explicitly says were racially and ethnically diverse. As I prayed about this, any form of worldly allegiance that seeks to give superior power is antithetical to the gospel. Call this nationalism. This is a fleshly boast that says my race, my nationality, my culture are superior to others and it affords me favor with God. Friends, this is something very significant for us today. Historically, when missionaries from Europe or the U.S. would go to foreign lands, they would give them the gospel and then force them to convert to Western cultural norms. There was an implicit and explicit heresy going on that said, yes, the gospel is what you need to save your soul, but you also need our sophisticated culture to live out this gospel. Anathema to that. We don't add anything to the gospel, not our race, not our culture, not our nationality, nothing. Paul said clearly, there is neither Jew nor Greek. This is why I wrote the confession. Father, I confess that I believe my family, ethnic or cultural heritage gives me special treatment from you. It doesn't. Christ alone. He is, as Paul would say in Ephesians, forming the one new man. 
What about the gospel and power? We saw it with Menaean. He had influence. He was associated with the highest levels of leaders. Herod, the king of Israel. This fleshly boast says, my status, my power, my wealth, my education afford me recognition in the eyes of people. And I assume it does with God too. God is impressed with what and who I know and do. This is why I wrote the confession. I confess that I believe my popularity, my riches, and my status in society make you love me more or less. You see how this works? Because of who I know, what I do, God loves me more. Or the opposite, because I don't know very many people, I don't do very many good things, God loves me less. I think what we can learn from Menaean and what Paul would say is nothing, no boasting in the flesh. Only boasting in Christ. But perhaps you don't see yourself in any of these names. Perhaps you say, I'm not a good person. I'm mean, I'm bitter, I'm a liar. I'm not even very good at religion. I'm lazy, I'm lousy. I'm not proud of my racial or ethnic heritage. In fact, I wish I was born in a different body, a different place, etc. I'm not connected to popular or powerful people or things. What this fleshly boast says is I'm not worth anything. My flesh is not worth anything. I boast in my nothingness. The gospel says to you, friend, that God is near the brokenhearted. He came to free the captives. He came to strengthen those who are weak. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering candle he will not snuff out. This is why I wrote this confession here. Father, I confess that I believe my sin is too great and my story too broken for you to forgive and heal. You see, in a twisted, upside-down way, this person is still boasting in their flesh. If I were just different than I am, then God would love me. Even trying to add self-pity to the gospel is anti the gospel. In all of this, what I want us to see is that Paul is saying, it is Christ alone, and I will boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. For me, I spent a lot of time confessing this week, all four of these confessions. Where do you find yourself? And I can assure you, as we go through the book of Galatians over the next several months, you're going to be strengthened in grace. That you can lay down all your boasts. You can lay down all the things that you're tempted to trust in. Because grace is sufficient. The cross of Christ is sufficient. At the beginning, I mentioned the theme song from Cheers, right? Well, here's the tagline in full. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Well, if that's you, friend, you're in a good place. Because everybody in this room has the same trouble. Wherever you find yourself, all of us have the trouble of trying to add something to the gospel at some point. And from Galatians, which was written in the first century, to today, it's same true. We all have the same trouble. And our God is calling us by name and saying, Will, far be it from you to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This table that we're about to come to reminds us that Jesus calls us to come to this table as you are. Lay down your boasts. Lay down the temptations you have to bring something to this table. Come freely, open-handed to Jesus who is strong and kind. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that you would take these, these passages, these saints of old, and remind us that we too have the same troubles. We tend to add to your gospel whatever it is that our hearts long for. And I pray that today our hearts would long for you alone. Lord, bring us to this table as free people. As Paul would say, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of bondage. So now, Lord, we freely come to the table that you offer to us as free grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.